Hello, and welcome to the Dissing My Ability podcast. I am your host, Ken Meeker. My guest for this week, it is Dr. Martin Mendelson. He is a personal friend of mine, and he also hosts a fabulous podcast called Conversations with Doc Martin. And just the name alone should give away how fabulous it is. But it's a great podcast and was fortunate enough to be invited on as a guest about a year and a half ago. His podcast is basically focused on, I would say, overcoming adversity and challenges. And it's a really amazing podcast about resilience. And it's a really hopeful podcast. I hope everyone has an opportunity to check it out and listens to it. His guests are incredible people, very accomplished, and they have powerful messages of hope and I find it quite inspirational. So thank you, Martin, for coming on to my new show. And if you could please, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and let them know a little about yourself, uh, what it is that you do, and uh, if you could, your disability and how disability has personally affected you. Yes. So first of all, thank you for the kind invitation. And uh, you you certainly fall into that category of guests. I, I really enjoyed our, our conversation when... Uh, we sat down and recorded for mine. So thank you very much. I am, don't hold this against me. I'm a, I'm a dentist by training and uh, my, my disability occurred earlier in the aughts. I think it was like 2003, 2004, uh, where I had to stop practice due to pain issues in my hand. I was actually misdiagnosed for about seven years. They didn't know what was going on. Uh, was on all different types of pain medications, thankfully not narcotics or opioids. And I was finally correctly diagnosed in 2010, which got me out of daily pain. But at that point, I had already begun to transition my life. And so for the last 11 years, I've been an executive vice president and a resident faculty member of Spear Education, which is the largest continuing education center for dentists in the world. However, about seven, eight years ago, I decided that I, I wanted to be better from a communications perspective. And so I went on a journey of certifications in professional coaching, executive coaching, team facilitation, emotional intelligence, happiness studies. And so today I, I basically split my time now between Spear Education and my firm called Metamorphosis Coaching, where I work with teams and or organizations to help increase communication, transparency, trust, which ultimately ends up translating to bottom line business growth. So today I, I very much am, am steeped in keynotes and workshops and private coaching, and it's super fun and uh, really an honor to get to interact with the people that I do. Awesome. Yes, I, I love what you do as well. And I hold nothing against dentists out there. I, I... <laughs> Well, I, well, you know, what, I fall asleep they, at the dentist. So, you know what they say about <laughs> dentists, you know, it's like we went to school for eighty years, we work three days a week, and you know, we're just trying to fund our next boat. None of which is actually true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's one yeah. of those things. I can attest you don't have a boat that I'm aware of. So, um... <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and so, I, I I love dentists. I like having my teeth. You mentioned that you made had to make a lot of changes due to pain mm -hmm. and due to you know your condition, which was you know misdiagnosed for such a long time. Mm -hmm. But you consider the changes positive. Can mm -hmm. you elab Can you elaborate on that? Since it was a career that you studied for, you went to school for. Sure. Uh, so I'm sure that there was at, at least at some point a sense of loss associated with that. Yes. And change isn't you know change can be hard, but it's not negative. 
So can you sort of elaborate on how you have morphed into the changes being where you view them as positive? Sure, sure. It it was very jarring at first because although the symptoms came on relatively slowly when the decision was finally made that I literally can't do this anymore, that that felt very sudden and very abrupt. And so I was actually out of work for 13 months in the beginning of this new journey. Thankfully, I, I had a private disability policy, which, you know, helped pay bills, but at the same time, it was a fraction of the income I was making. And so one of the first people that I spoke to in that time was a fellow disabled dentist who had pivoted herself and actually had a job at uh, National Institute of Health. And she said something to me that will always and forever be in my brain, which is, you always got to remember you're not just a dentist. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I've been working on with other professionals today, and, and I believe why my message resonates to any person who identifies themselves with what it is they do or certain attributes about them is that whoever we are, we are more than just the label we give ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that was a very traumatic experience to actually figure out who I was without the label. Yeah, I hear you on that. I think a lot of the times, especially at least my experience has been with professionals, they tend to identify first mm -hmm. yeah. with their profession of their career. You know, yeah. what are you? Well, I am a you know, dentist or I am a lawyer, yeah. a doctor, you know, the, the, the higher you know, degree of professional, you know, sort of yeah. the more they identified as that versus just being a person or, you know, conversely, like a father or a husband or a dad or whatever it might be, they, they don't label themselves as that first. They take sort of the human aspect out of it. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. So one thing that you have, you touched on that I'd like to touch on is the psychological aspect of mm -hmm. encountering disability, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, being out of, when it first happens, it's it's a trauma, yeah. right? And trauma is painful. It's difficult. I, I know when I encounter disability, I have a, I had a very strong support structure. You mm -hmm. know, I had a strong family. I had a you know, and unfortunately, not everybody has that. It's just a sad truth that exists. And overcoming that trauma, overcoming that psychological pain, I think is the first crucial step towards moving through disability because you don't get over it, you move through it. Mm -hmm. How did you tackle that? How did you sort of move through that trauma? Yeah, I, I think it was a bit of a journey, uh, frankly. Another thing that, that happened to me early on in my disability, because it, as you know, when you interact with me, you can't, you couldn't tell that there was any challenges that I had in my life. And mm -hmm. just like, if somebody were to interact with you, they, they wouldn't know right off the bat either. Yeah, most of that's very true. And so I, I recall one time, uh, the only time I was ever yelled at by a physician, and it was appropriate, actually. And, and it, again, really stuck with me. I was talking to my neurologist, and I, I made a comment that uh, I was very embarrassed that I had taken a, a, a trip on a plane and I had to ask somebody to help me put up my bag into the overhead because I physically couldn't do it. And he looked at me and he said, don't you ever 
be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. He said, do you have any idea how many patients I have that it literally takes them two hours to get out of bed in the morning? And once they finally do get out of bed and they're functional, if they were in society, you wouldn't necessarily know. But don't ever put yourself in a situation where you are putting yourself at risk or causing greater stress, challenge, trauma, pain to your body because you're afraid to ask for help. And so that really stuck with me as well. I, I had a great familial source and friend's source of support while at the same time, people didn't know what to do with me mm -hmm. because again, people looked at me as, as that dentist guy, you know, it's still to this day, I'll, I'll go to parties and people say, you know, what do you do? And it comes out of, as I'm a, that I'm a dentist. And the, it's so funny. Like so many people will look at you and go, I hate the dentist. Mm -hmm. It's like, thanks. I hate you too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, would you say that to anybody else? You know, dentists, uh, no offense to my lawyer friends, but dentists are like lawyers. We complain about them when we don't need them. And when we need them, we come running. So true. So the, the pain of having to figure out again, who the hell I was, despite society, not knowing what to do with me, particularly dentistry, like my dentist colleagues in the beginning. And, and I certainly take ownership of this too didn't really know what to do with me because I would meet people, let's say at conferences and they'd say, where do you practice? And then I think to myself, Oh, here we go again. I got to, you know, re-explain why I don't and you know how, are... and then of course all the, the imposter syndrome stuff comes in, right? Like mm -hmm. how are they looking at me and so forth? So the mental journey and as one of my therapists called it trauma, which I never thought of it that way before, but it, it was and is, it took a very long time to get over. And mm -hmm. I made a decision, which was a conscious decision at the time and for the majority of my career, to stay within dentistry. Only recently, uh, well, not so recently, oh, last seven, eight years, have I been branching out beyond dentistry. So I, so I made that choice. And so, you know, in, in, in making that choice, I then had to fight those demons on a regular basis because it was always, well, I don't practice. I do this. Well, I don't, I'm not a clinician. I do this. And so it was this, this tit for tat that only recently I realized was majoritively in my own head that has really set me free to allow myself to be the, the, the true individual, you know, unique unicorn that I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think, we put ourselves in boxes. Yeah. I think that it's just, it's very common to want to find a category and then, and then put ourselves in it. I, I you know, I, I'm not a psychologist. I wish I could explain where that comes from. You know, I worked for in the insurance industry for, you know, over 20 years. So when I encountered disability in 2014, it's, it's very, something very similar to, to, to your experience is a loss of identity. Yeah. You know, it's like I was this professional, successful person, and while to the outside world, I wasn't any different because, you know, while I'm legally blind, I don't see very much. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, people just assume that I'm, you know, quote, unquote, like everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, I, I use Uber and Lyft a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and almost 99% of the time they are shocked that I can, that my vision is so, is so low. right. 
And they're like, yeah. oh, and they and often I hear, oh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, don't be. I'm fine. Yeah. And you know, living with a hidden disability, because I would consider mine hidden, similar to yours. People yeah. don't make that assumption that, oh, well, this person, you know, they figure that you're able-bodied or my favorite is when I tell them I don't see very well because I, I don't want to necessarily always have to explain, especially to a stranger, what's going yeah. on physically. Uh, they're like, oh, well, I wear glasses too. Not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I haven't thought about that in a while, but you're right. Um, even to today, people that I meet, and and I've been so fortunate in life because Spear Education, uh, the the firm that I'm a resident faculty member with, I mean, we're the largest continuing education firm for dentists in the world. And I've been with them for over a decade and I get spotted in airports because I've been on so many videos that literally tens of thousands of dentists have seen. And yet still, even people who know my background or at least know of spear and then make a connection and then they'll say so often do you still practice and i say no i don't have the ability to you're right ken they say i'm sorry mm -hmm. and so uh, it's very interesting because it's an attempt by the other person to be compassionate but at the end of the day what does it say about them as it mm -hmm. relates to how they view themselves mm -hmm. it's fascinating i hadn't thought of that before yeah, it's 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 something that I you know I I get it all that oh well I'm sorry well I'm not yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you thank yeah. you for the uh, you know for trying you know for the empathy but it, it's a, I'm I'm fine you know I, yeah it did it suck yes uh <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but I'm, I don't look at where I was I look at where I am correct correct and you know something happened to me just the other day uh, which I haven't even gotten a chance to share with you yet and it's been very transformative for me. I'm enjoying what I'm doing professionally today more than I've ever probably been in my life since uh, I ceased clinical practice. And I had a really good day last week. I had some really good meetings with some companies I'm really excited to do some work with. This mantra that I had been using for years when things were good popped into my head, which was, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the the proverbial clouds parted and I thought, no, it is okay. And it's changed me, Ken, because instead of, in essence, the way I choose to interpret this, instead of looking at the present or excuse me, I'm sorry, instead of continuing to look to the future as it will be okay, pulling things back and being present and saying it is okay. Mm -hmm validates where you are today rather than invalidates where you are today by continuing to look at the future. Yeah, and live in the present. It's made such an impact on me. That little you know, twist of the tongue has really impacted me very significantly. It's it's fascinating to me. I believe it because I those little changes in 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 you know in mindset and and something that I tell people all the time similarly is you must choose happiness. Yep. It does not happen to us. You must yes. choose it. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it, sometimes it can be very elusive. Yes. But you must choose it and you must want it in order for it to happen because it doesn't happen to us. Yes. And it's, it's you know, similar to, you know, it is okay. You know, yeah. I am okay today, even if I'm having a bad day, I am yeah. still okay. Um, yeah. And I think that 
that attitude, it, it doesn't make it easy. Cause I think, you know, on the surface people, oh, well, it's so easy to say that. No, yeah. it's not. It's not yeah. easy to say it some days. Some days it's really hard, but it matters. <laughs> well, and it, it, it really does. And, and there are so many individuals that when this subject kind of comes up, they end up pivoting into this. Well, that's toxic positivity. You know, toxic positivity is a very different thing than happiness. Yes. And it's something that I talk about quite often in, in my lectures, which is toxic positivity is just always looking toward the bright side, that yep. everything is good. Everything yep. will be okay. And sometimes it's not. However, happiness is a comparative emotion. Mm -hmm. And so without those trying times in our lives, we have no frame of reference to celebrate the good stuff. As part of my certificate in happiness studies, shout out to the happiness studies academy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know there was something called that. Yeah, awesome. yes, it was founded. <laughs> uh, it was founded by Dr. Tal Ben Shahar, who who honored me as as a guest on my podcast, and we talked all about Spire, which is an acronym he has developed, uh, which is the components of happiness. Yeah, see, I know that, but I, I yeah, didn't know there was a yeah, happiness institute. Yeah. That's 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 yeah. Fun. Yeah. So for your listeners, it's 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 an acronym that stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. And these are the components of happiness. And I always like to pause and say, now don't get stuck on the S that's spiritual because spiritual is not necessarily not necessarily deity related or organized religion related. It's about presence and purpose. Yep. And so when you dive into the components of Spire and what Dr. Ben Shahar teaches, it, it can be very transformative because if you then think about Spire and you lay it over a really good day that you've had in the recent past, what you'll realize is that really, really good day had all or almost all of those elements. You were present in the moment. You were either doing something physical or enjoying something physical, like a wonderful meal with, with friends or family, you know, you were, you were curious intellectually, maybe you learned something, or maybe it was something like, huh, I never knew that before. You were connected to people relationally and you got that sense of uh, well-being relative to your emotional connection with the people that you're with. Mm -hmm. And when you lay spire over a really, really good day, you sit back and you go, huh, okay. So how can I bring more of those elements into my life on a regular basis with intention, yep. which is what you were just saying as it relates to happiness as a choice? Yep. yep, absolutely. And I think conversely, when you have those, when those elements are missing or not present is when we have those negative experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing Dr. Ben Chard talks about is focusing too much on like one area, like mm -hmm. if it, let's take physical, cause it's easy to use an example. If you're so focused on the physical and all you're doing is going to the gym yeah, uh, in your free time, then how is that satisfying your relationships? How is that satisfying your curiosity? How is that satisfying your sense of purpose, presence, and spirituality? So, you know, and you can take any one of the uh, letters of the acronym and, and talk about you know, if we're, if we're spending all this time trying to be present, well, how are we actually relating to other people? How are we emotionally connecting to other people? So it's, uh, it's a balance, if right. you will, which I kind of like, uh, not kind of like I do like, it, <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's, it's not like a, all it is the phrase goes, it's all in moderation, so to speak. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's and I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think you know balance when it comes to those things is super important. If you focus, like you, as you said, on one thing, there's a cost associated with if you are yeah. focusing on one thing. Yeah, to, you know, over something else, it's you have yeah. to find that a way as best you can is to sort of balance those things out. Absolutely, um, and I think you're spot on right there. Uh, you had touched on something a little while ago that I I'd like to circle back to, and that was imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. because I think that there's often it's a a lot of confusion about what it is and how it manifests sometimes. I know I encounter it from time to time. Right. And I think a lot of people encounter it, but sometimes it can be a little hard to identify. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you might be able to expand a little bit on how you've uh, encountered it and how you recognize it, acknowledge it, and then move through it and go to the other side. Yeah. So so we take a look at imposter syndrome. It's basically the belief that, you shouldn't be there <laughs> or yeah. the the idea that you're a fraud. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I was doing some research recently and interestingly enough, it seems to affect successful people to a higher degree, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be in the perfect, yeah, the higher yep. uh, I've read uh, studies as, that are similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be, Somewhat hard to define for some people, but I think the symptoms speak for themselves. So the symptoms would be, you know, I don't belong here, or eventually they're going to find me out, or I just got lucky that this thing that went so well went so well. Mm -hmm. It's looking to negate or downplay your accomplishments or your presence within an organization within which you function. So using me as an example, I had really just raging imposter syndrome when I first joined Spear because Dr. Spear is an amazing human being, an amazing clinician, world-renowned. And, and I would sit there thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Like, why am I here? How did I get here? Well, they're going to find me out eventually. Like all of this stuff that would go through my head, that's symptomatic. And of of what imposter syndrome is. So in terms of having to kind of work through it, we we as human beings, interestingly enough, have millions and millions and millions of thoughts that go through our our heads every day. Estimates are anywhere between 12 and 50 million a day, which is insane, Uh, which I kind of question. That's a big number, but- I don't know. uh, You've never looked inside my head. (laughs) And and it's been reported that 70 to 80% of those are negative. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is we have this recording in our head. As you know, one of my favorite books of all time is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And I paraphrase, but he says, you're you're not the voice in your head. You're the one who hears it. Mm -hmm. And so because we live with this recurring uh, loop of voice in our head every single day, we end up buying into the rhetoric. And so one of the ways to push through that is to just simply question and ask yourself, how true is that? Mm-hmm. So if you say, I don't belong here, let's say it's a job. Well, if you don't belong here, why'd they hire you? Yep. They're the ones who said yes. So how true is that? Or if I'm not smart enough to be here, well, how true is that? You were asked to be part of this 
or you were asked for your opinion. And so it becomes a effort to challenge your thoughts, which in the beginning of this journey to stamp down imposter syndrome, should you choose to accept it, can seem a little bit overwhelming only because we need to be conscious of that effort of our own thought process. Yet that thought, those thought processes will become habitual over time, just like the opposite has become habitual over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Practice, 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 practice. And it, we're not, it's, it, it, at first it's new. So of course it's going to be yeah. uncomfortable. I'm a big believer in, uh, I don't believe in living or living your life on autopilot, as I call it, mm -hmm. to where when you have those thoughts, we all have them in varying degrees, you know, yeah. where we question ourselves, we question whether we belong, we question whether we fit in, you know, we're constant, our, we're programmed to constantly do comparison. Our brains are, are wired that way. Yeah. And so we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and you can't turn that off, but you can question it. Yes. As you say. Yes. And, and when you and don't, don't question get, it, yeah, it's autopilot. Go ahead. Yeah. Go. And don't get me started on social media because <laughs> that, that's become the, the bane of our existence from I agree. a comparison. Uh, I forget who says it. It's a pretty famous quote. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. It's, it's toxic. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I'm not a fan of social media. Uh, I haven't been for when it first came out, I was like, oh, this is a great tool to connect with yeah. people. And then. <laughs> yeah yeah i've i've much more pivoted to linkedin these days than yeah. other platforms likewise because for the most part it is um it's just a different platform and and for those that attempt to use it in different ways they they typically get called out so uh it's certainly not perfect but uh somewhere that i choose to spend my time more these days of the time that i do spend on social media Likewise, it's productive. And, yeah. you know, I, I have no qualms about if somebody posts something that I believe is divisive, political in nature, or yeah. not appropriate with a, with a professional setting, they're just ignored forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's really simple. They make it very easy. It, I just, I don't block them. I just permanently ignore them. Yeah. And so it's like, this is not appropriate for this mm -hmm. platform. If you want to be that there's a place for that. There's always a place for, you know, those conversations, I don't think that that's the appropriate place. Yeah. So I'm with you on that one. So one thing that I would like to discuss, if you're okay with it, is the benefits of therapy. You touched on it a little bit a while ago. I know how beneficial it's been in my own life. I am very open about that. I've had a ton of therapy, a ton of counseling over the course of my life, and it has probably saved my life. And I think that there's often a fear associated or a shame associated with seeking out professional help. Uh, that there's a stigma associated with it. And yeah. I just know how beneficial it's been for me and how it's beneficial for most people. And especially when it comes to trauma and encountering disability is trauma. Yep. yep. It's not what most people think of as trauma maybe, but it is trauma. And I'm hoping maybe you could uh, touch on, touch on it a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that this podcast is about is trying to remove shame associated with disability mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, using all of the resources we have available to move through it to get to a better place. Yeah. And I never would have been able to do that, even with an amazing support structure with if I did not have professional help. Sure. So I'm hoping you, that you uh, would maybe, you know, share a little bit about your experience in that arena and how, yeah. it's, how it's helped you. No, it's it's been extremely helpful. And 
talk about stigma. Why is it okay to go to the hospital when you're, or go to the doctor rather when you're sick physically, physiologically, but it's, it's not okay to go to the doctor when you're not feeling okay between your ears. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we've bred in our society uh, and created shame around when the truth of the matter is your brain is an organ, just like your heart or your liver or your kidneys and your heart, liver, and kidneys don't always work perfectly well. Neither does your brain. Yep. And so the very idea to even create a stigma around it is frankly very selfish. And, you know, it, it begs the phrase, uh, you know, I, th I think he doth protest too much. And so <laughs> those, those that really have an issue with it, I kind of wonder, hmm, what's going on between your ears? But my, I, I believe that one of the biggest benefits of therapy is the challenging that goes on within the sessions, because the whole point of therapy is to get out what you're thinking, right? Yeah. So if you're able to get out what you're thinking and give shed light onto the thoughts of negativity with an individual that's trained to listen, understand, make you feel listened to so that they can offer you different interpretations or conclusions as appropriate can change your life because the truth of the matter is, is that the difference between feeling great about something and feeling terrible about something is just simply how you think about it. Very true. So I think... When you say distracted by thoughts, I know I, I, it can be very easy to sort of get stuck in your head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially when they're negative thoughts and it can be yeah. very cyclical. That's what really what therapy helped me with was to learn how to recognize when I'm in that cycle or when I'm starting mm -hmm. to get there mm -hmm. and tools that I can use to get out of that frame of mind. That's yes. where, because I, I have, I have social anxiety. I've had it for a very long time. And after encountering disability because of my vision loss, my social anxiety went through the roof to where if there was a crowd, I'd throw up. Mm. It, it, it was, you know, it got, it was pretty bad there for a while by seeing a psychologist and getting, is they just, it's an objective perspective where they help you just kind of clear out the noise and figure things out and you yeah. get to do the work. So it's, you feel accomplished by it as well. Because they're not like, oh, here, do this and do this. You know, it's, it's. It, good, finding a good therapist or psychologist can be transformative. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the example that I often give to my clients and from, you know, a podium is, as I said before, events are neutral. Events are factual. Events have nothing attached to them. Mm -hmm. So my favorite example, which anybody can relate to, I believe, is you text a friend on a Wednesday. And you don't hear back from them. And now it's Monday. And you've decided in your head that the reason they didn't text you back is they don't like you. They don't appreciate you. They're too busy for you, et cetera, et cetera. That drives feelings about that individual, mm -hmm. frustration, anger, et cetera, which then drives actions of based upon those feelings. So maybe ignoring them or lashing out which drives a result in this case of potentially harming the friendship because you've come to your own conclusions. Mm -hmm. 
Now, then let's say Tuesday morning, if you made the choice of not to reach out to them, all of a sudden you discover that something terrible happened to them. Mm -hmm. They were sick. A family member was sick. There was an accident, blah, 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 blah. Now, what are your thoughts? They've completely shifted. And what are your feelings about that friend? They've completely shifted. Yeah. What are your actions toward that friend? They will completely shift. And so one of the things that I believe therapy does is it sheds light on certain thought processes to, as you said, give you the tools, and there are many, to go about the world not just accepting everything or, excuse me, every thought that just happens to pop in your brain. Yep. And and that's one of the keys of therapy. And I think the other thing I'll say is this. There comes a point, and, and this occurred for me too, and I've been open about this. There, there comes a point where you've been through the therapy, you have all the tools, you're attempting to use the tools, and just something isn't right. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, your kidney, your your liver, your heart can be broken, so can your brain. And so if if you're at a point where like myself, where you were, you know, actively in therapy, yet things still weren't working. Well, sometimes there's some pharmacologic intervention that's needed, warranted, and appropriate. And yep. there's nothing wrong with that either. Nope. And so it's okay not to be okay. For me, what's not okay is not asking for help. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is not. There's, there is no shame and Nobody should ever feel it for asking for help. It is not a weakness. It is no, a strength. No. To be able to say, I need help is 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 a strength. Yeah. Uh, because you're saying, no, we can't nobody can do it all on their own. And anyone who believes that they can is I hope someday they wake up. Um yeah. because they're in for, I believe, a world of pain at some point because we can't we we're we all sink or swim together. I firmly, firmly believe that. Oh, absolutely. And the more we can recognize that we can't do it all. Each of us, you know, together we can, collectively we can, but yeah. individually we cannot. So I think that's a really important message to people. Something that I think would like to touch on is people that are early in their journey with disability, that can be the hardest place. Uh, that can be the often the darkest place for somebody because I know how I felt going through it. And when I talked to most people about it, they feel alone mm -hmm. and they struggle and they're like, well, I, it's not that they think they're the only person that's disabled, but they're the only person in that space that they know that's going through it and it's lonely, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And something that is true is a lot of people don't have a support structure that yeah. they really, they really do feel alone because there could be a fat, you know, they maybe they don't have a family that's supportive and, mm -hmm. and helpful or they, and they don't know what to do. And so one of the reasons I started this podcast is for those people to hear, to have somebody where, where they can identify with somebody else and be like, I'm not alone. Yes. But yeah. So what advice do you have for somebody that's at that point sort of in their journey where they where they just feel alone and they feel stuck? Yeah. Well, you know, ironically, it goes back to one of the benefits of social media, ironically enough, because one of the benefits of where we are today in human history relative to social media is there is a Facebook group for anything and everything. And so at the very least, reaching out over, as I like to jokingly call the interwebs, <laughs> find support groups is key. Because as you put it yourself, nobody's going to understand what you're going through like somebody else that's in your shoes. Yeah. And so if you feel like you don't have anybody around you, 
and your thought about the fact that you don't know anyone in your life that is, you know, vision impaired. That that's true. That's a fact. Your thought about that fact is nobody understands me. Well, how true is that? Who can I reach out to? Where what just literally search on support groups either online or in person in your area. And, you know, not everybody lives in major metropolitan areas. So in many situations, it is, uh, you know, internet uh, mediated on mm-hmm. because there's no other, there's no other option. But finding your people is critical. You know, over the last year or so, I, I've gotten to know a gentleman named uh, Dr. Kyle Stanley, and he launched a group called The Light Side. And it's for dentists to talk about mental health. I've gone to quite a number of the sessions and nobody else understands what a dentist goes through like another dentist. Yeah. Part of what we do, boy, talk about thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. Ken, do you know what medical doctors call the situation where they operate and something goes wrong and they have to go back in and fix it? You know what they call it? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> they call it a they call it they call it a revision. Ah, they call it a revision sense, because you're working on a human being with a multitude of variables. Not everything works all the time. Yeah. Do you know what we call it in dentistry? A repair? A failure. Oh gosh. <laughs> that's that's uh not the yeah. best. And connotation. so yeah. for those who are listening, which is probably 99.9% who are not dentists, I want you to understand. The difference between success and quote unquote failure in dentistry can be tenths of millimeters. And so you're working on this human being through this little hole called the mouth with a tongue moving around and saliva and, 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 and something quote fails and all of a sudden you make it about you. Yeah. And so the point to this sharing of this reality of dentists is that what I saw and what I witnessed in in Kyle's group, The Light Side, was this ability to share common challenges with to, to then therefore challenge those thought patterns to then have a more healthy relationship with facts so yeah. that you don't interpret them in a given way that isn't in support of your own mental health. Yeah, because failure is this tough word, especially when you're dealing with such precision. It's like... Yeah. It's, you know, I've had a, you know, I had a crown. It didn't fit right. It yep. wasn't a failure to me. It was, yeah. it was, okay, they went, they did, they went and they fixed it. They saw the yeah. problem. That's what they do. Absolutely. That's what somebody does. That's what you do in any industry. Absolutely. Okay, there's a problem. It's not accurate. Let's fix yep. it. It's yep. not a failure. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I had no idea about that. That could be very, uh, absolutely damaging to someone's psyche to constantly. Absolutely. How absolutely. often is something perfect the first time around? very rarely um, yeah that's that's a that's a very high standard to, to yeah exactly expected to live up to wow i had no idea thank you for sharing that that's yeah and i'm glad that there's a support structure for it at least now that where people can talk about it with people that get it you know yes yeah we're actually doing our first in-person workshop in january we're super excited we're calling it light side live and so kyle and i are joining forces <laughs> uh for our colleagues in uh, california we're super excited about it so it should be it it should be very enlightening, very important, and very fun. So we're, we're excited about it. Very awesome. Very awesome. Congratulations on that. 
Thank you. So, and I, so I think that's a, a good place to end. Um, yeah. So I want to thank you very much for coming on, Martin. Um, I really appreciate it. If you would be so kind as to let everybody know where they can find you and uh, find out about your podcast and if they're interested in, in more about learning about you. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the simplest thing is to go to my website, which is just my full name, martinmendelson.com. And it has a link to the podcast and a uh, link to my other social media uh, handles. Uh, all of my social media typically, typically is uh, I use the username Metamorph Coach. And so you'll find that uh, linked on my website as well. Yeah, I like calling you Doc Martin because that's just. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody has a little chuckle when I I'm like because it's it's fun and yes it's tongue in cheek which is one of the things I like. Well, it's it's uh, the way I look at it is it's my name and my legal degree so I can use it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's because it's not inaccurate either. Right. So thank you so much for coming on. This has been this has been great. Um, You're welcome. And uh, thank you to everyone out there listening to the Dissing My Ability podcast, where every week. Uh, guests and I discuss how it is possible to overcome the challenges associated with living with disability, removing the senses of shame and otherness that so many people who are differently abled struggle with. I'm your host, certified professional coach and owner of Vitality Coaching, Ken Meeker. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and like the Dissing My Ability podcast. Have a terrific week, and please remember to be kind to yourself and to others. <laughs>